0: The Cozy Robot Show.
1: Well, hey, Cozy Robots. I'm Mike McCarg, and this is a show about how we understand our feelings and the world around us and uh, how those things go together, which is so important in the world that we're in right now. We're so glad that you have joined us. I'm going to move a little window here real quick. It was just in the way. And... Um, You know, we're on live right now on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch, I think, and pretty much anywhere you can do live streaming video because we want to be available wherever in your life that you have the space for us, including a little later, we'll be on Instagram TV as a replay and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the podcast players. Woo, it's a lot of fun. And this show has a community around it that I absolutely adore. In fact, there are over 700 Cozy Robots who have joined us already. And the Cozy Robots are the people who pick the topics for our program, they interact with me, and we actually do an after-party right after the show on Discord as soon as it's over. So if you'd like to learn how to become one of the Cozy Robots, go to CozyRobots.com. And with that, tonight, let's talk about what we want to get into. And that's the power of play. Have you ever noticed that the world was magical when you were a child? I mean, do you remember what it was like to pick up a stick and have it turned into a sword or a magic wand? Do you remember what it was like to go into a magical realm with other children, almost on demand? There was no limit to what the world could offer us. And then I want you to think about what it's like the first time you meet someone at a social gathering meant for adults, the different dynamic there. where we try to appear very serious, and we try to appear uh, very impressive. We talk about what we do, we talk about uh, what uh, you know, what what we're up to financially, or or you know what projects we're working on. And adults are so awkward about getting to know each other and play that we have to have things called icebreakers at parties where people literally think of small games we can play in order to get to know each other better when we're kids we know how to play and then we start to grow up and when we grow up life gets more formal life gets more serious we take ourselves more seriously we try to fit in Uh, with other adults by talking about work kind of things. And uh, the magic kind of goes away for us. And we lose that ability to tap into that magical, collaborative, creative activity known as play. And it is possible to play as adults. I discovered this recently recently. Uh, I used to be a part of something called The Liturgists, and they had a show called The Liturgists Podcast. I helped found that and was a member and co-founder for many years, and um, and some people who listened to that podcast started a gaming community around a, type, a particular game known as Dungeons and Dragons. You've probably heard of it. It's both famous and infamous, and um, they invited me. To join them and play Dungeons and Dragons, Uh, and not as a video game, like on a video conference, like we're kind of—you can see my face, you know, like Zoom calls, like uh, role-playing over a Zoom call. And I, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons in high school, and it sounded really fun to me to go back and try to have that experience again. If you haven't ever played Dungeons and Dragons, it's sort of a game where you. Pretend to be someone else, someone called your player character, and you and other people playing as player characters enter into adventures together. And we're going to talk a lot more about Dungeons & Dragons later in the show. But I can remember, right getting into Dungeons & Dragons, how uncomfortable I felt the first time I joined into a session because everyone was on camera and I could see their faces and it seemed like a totally normal grown-up Zoom call until someone started to speak in a voice that wasn't theirs and then everybody started to speak in different fantasy voices that they had created for their character or the or the game master had created for the non-player characters in the game and I felt so embarrassed. And not because I thought their voices were silly, although that would be a common reaction. I felt embarrassed because I wasn't sure that I could do voices like that as well. And so I started to feel like I didn't belong here and that I just probably should go away. I should probably just leave this thing and go. And uh, some of the people who are a part of that game are watching the stream right now, I see you all commenting, hey friends. And, uh, you know, people were really kind and invited me into that play experience with them. And then Dungeons & Dragons became a major part of my life right before we went into COVID-19, which is why I think play is so important and why I wanted to talk to you tonight about play. Because right now, so many of us our lives are radically different. We're spending more time indoors, you know? We have the double threat of a pandemic and wildfire smoke on the West Coast right now. So we are spending a lot of time indoors. And that can lead us to do a lot of passive media consumption, a lot of movie watching, which is a fun and fine activity, or watching television shows or reading. But these are all kind of solitary activities. They're not social or communal, and they're passive. We kind of lean back and take in a story. Whereas play helps us, through creativity, find context for our lives. It helps us to forge social bonds. And believe it or not, research tells us that it can also help us relieve anxiety. Play has incredible mental health benefits. So why, then, is play so hard? for adults to participate in? Well, I think about the challenges that I have in engaging in both creative activities and play activities. And we often feel, you know, too cool. I don't know of a better way to say that, but we feel cynical. We feel cynical because cynicism is a protective armor that our our minds create for us after we've been hurt. You know, I, I think back when I was a child, I loved to play, but as other children moved into adolescence and wanted to stop playing like children, I didn't want to say goodbye to the fantasy worlds that we created together. And my persistence at continuing in play behavior meant I got teased for being too childlike. You know, play, part of what it does, it helps us rehearse life, and for teenagers Rehearsing life means acting more like a grown-up, which means letting go of childlike play behaviors. And so my brain and my mind in an attempt to protect me makes me feel preemptively embarrassed about play activities through cynicism. And I think about that dynamic in our lives when we really do long for something out of the ordinary, when we really do long to connect with others, and I have absolutely noticed that every person has an untapped creativity that they wish they could share with others and access themselves. But cynicism somehow stops us from being able to. And so, as adults, we lose the magic of how we can play. Which means I'd like to explore together how we can bring that back, and that's what we're going to do on this week's Moment of Calm. So, this is the time uh, when we do some kind of meditation together. And this week is going to be really, really different. This is probably not going to be like any meditation that you have ever done before. Uh, what I'd like us to do is Practice getting into a playful state of mind together. And so what I'd like you to do is just look around the room right now. Whatever's around you now. You might be uh, not in your room. You might be in a uh, uh, a common area in a home or even in a public space, and that's okay. You can still engage this activity right in that context. I just want you to look around and find an inanimate object that can fit in your hand, something you can pick up. I happen to have a little metal egg right here. So that's going to be the object I choose, okay? And I want to warn you that as we go through this activity together, you might feel self-conscious, you might feel a sense of shame, and I would invite you to just pay attention to that, and then push through it or set it aside because this is totally safe. I see someone, Priscilla says that uh, they are on a bus right now. I could definitely see feeling very self-conscious in this activity. So if you're on a bus or a very public place, simply hold the object in your hand and do this activity in your mind. Whereas if you're in a more private space, go ahead and do this activity out loud. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to look at the object you have in your hand and I want you to become it. And what do I mean? I'm going to ask a few questions, and I would like you to answer as that object, not as yourself. This is a very simple way that we can practice and rehearse playing together. So right now I'm looking at this egg, and I'm going to ask the egg, what is your name? And the egg has told me immediately, I'm Egger. Like Edgar, but Egger. There we go. <laughs> so whatever object you're holding, I just want you to ask it it's name. And the first thing that pops into your mind as that object, that becomes the name. That's okay. Don't overthink it. Don't go into perfectionism. We are not here to win an Academy Award. We are here to try and play together. So what is your name? Okay. Then I want you to ask your object. How was your day? And I want you to try to answer. <laughs> Stephanie, I love that you have your inhaler named Al. <laughs> that is wonderful. Okay, yeah. So we've got our object, its name. Now, how was your day? Let's go ahead and answer as the object. How was your day? Just a sentence. Egger, by the way, told me that Egger's day has been lovely. And then finally, I want you to ask your object, What does it do for fun? Just say, what do you do for fun? And then answer as the object. Okay? Edgar likes watching Netflix shows, by the way. Very passive. Very passive object. Now let me ask you this. How did you feel when you first thought about giving voice to an inanimate object? Did you feel excited? Did you feel embarrassed? Did you feel nervous? Was it easy or hard to imagine what this object would say to you? Did you answer in your own voice? Or in some other voice? And no matter how you responded, everything is okay because the whole point of play is letting go of our inner critic and letting go of our perfectionism and instead enjoying something unself-consciously. So as you practice play in your life, I'd invite you frequently as you notice objects in and around you to ask them what the, what the name is, what your name is, how is your day, and what do you do for fun, and just see what kind of magic might already be all around you. All right, let's keep the lights on. The Ask Science Mike, excuse me. (laughs) Old habits die hard, you know. I I get into the ad read and I go straight in podcaster mode. (laughs) The Cozy Robot show wouldn't be possible without the support of amazing sponsors, one of whom is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is affordable, private, online counseling that I absolutely adore and use myself. Uh, It's available anytime and anywhere, which in this day and age is so important. BetterHelp lets you connect with a licensed professional therapist online. And they even handle the matching for you. I know for me, trying to find a therapist is one of the hardest things about getting mental health support. And so you go to BetterHelp.com slash Science Mike and fill out a questionnaire, and they will match you with a counselor that is well-equipped to help you through the challenges you may be facing in life right now. They're available via chat, text, call, and video. It's all socially distanced, private, and secure. You'll get 10% off your first month if you visit betterhelp.com slash science to get started on an improved mental health journey today. And also supporting this episode is KiwiCo, an absolutely delightful company who understands that school is just different this year. Whether your children are going to school in person or socially distanced, we're facing a different world together that can be frightening and overwhelming. And KiwiCo provides hands-on STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math Learning experiences that are delivered right to your door as a monthly subscription. We absolutely love these in the McCarg House. We all have our own Kiwi crates every month because they have lines available for people of all ages. KiwiCo does such a good job of this that they've delivered over 20 million crates and counting. And you can get 60% off your first month of any KiwiCo line by visiting KiwiCo.com slash mic. and I, by the way, I love it when you all tag me in pictures on social media of the Kiwi co boxes or excuse me, crates that you have built uh, either yourself or with your kids it's tons of fun so again, KiwiCo.com slash mic. and now I'm really, really excited about this as we talk about play, I want to introduce you to two of my friends who host a program called Good Mythical Morning. They also host a show called Ear Biscuits. Their name are Rhett and Link, and we had a delightful conversation about play, which, as you'll be able to tell, was pre-recorded. As my shirt's going to magically change. Here we go. Well, Rhett and Link. Thank you so much for being here today for the Cozy Robot Show. It is our pleasure. Yes, very excited. When we d- knew we were going to talk about play, I literally, you were the first people I could even imagine to talk to because everything about Mythical is so playful. Um, I don't know how much like intentionality that's gone into how you've created your company culture and creative culture, but certainly from the viewer's perspective of your entire body of work, play seems to be like this ongoing theme. And I thought if we wanted to talk about that, we should go back to the beginning of play for Mm. you two, which is maybe more than a lot of creative collaborators, right? Because you were childhood friends. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know you. Ah,
2: the wound. What a playful spot. I mean, talk about cozy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I mean, you're talking about first grade. You're talking about I don't know. I was I was uh, I was well
1: out of the womb by then. Uh, <laughs> Slight delay from womb to first grade. Yeah, 1984. 84. Really?
2: It's, it's a good year. It's a good year for for meeting friends in first grade. Yeah. So the, so the I mean, we tell the story of us meeting to the point where it's like. I, I I'm pretty sure it happened that way, but I'm rem, you know I'm remembering how I've told it.
1: all Stories of, these years. of a story, yeah. That,
2: that yeah, it has a little bit of a. Um, it is
0: a little bit of a myth at this point, but it is based. It is based in fact.
2: Uh, I'm saying it's all. Fa- I mean, I I don't mean to undermine <laughs> our origin story right off the bat, but yeah, we were we were writing nasty words on our desks.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, first day, first grade, Miss Locklear's class. Uh, again, th- this is an example of where we have uh, added some color to the story. I would say that we actually do not remember the exact words that we wrote. But mm-hmm. over time, we have settled on hell and damn. Um, yeah, I think that's the same. Uh, because that just seems to be a really good guess. And then Miss Locklear taught us that very first day of school and gave us an assignment color. Pictures of mythical beasts. That's where the whole mythical thing comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where the mythical branding. That's why Link is currently. You know, it's a little self-indulgent to be
1: wearing <laughs> your
0: your own brand T-shirt. But at but... least
1: the typesetting is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, very
0: very simple. Very. Min- we, we call this the mythical minimal minimalisty. Anyway, how can you
2: shame me for wearing <laughs> merch that? It, does that you don't get a cut of any sales that that come from from this. I don't... That's not how we do the this math. Disappearance 50-50, uh, regardless of who generates the sale. But anyway... So even the punish... I mean, the fact that we were being punished, I'm sure that it was playful. Mm-hmm. You know? We were right on our desk, and then we're just coloring on top of our desks. Mm-hmm. You know? it's. That's, that's certainly the, the bond of our friendship was made then, but then it was... Uh, yeah, I mean, we're just, you know, we, we've always been best friends because we were always into the same things and making each other laugh and just cutting the fool, man. Cutting the fool.
1: When I now was we a cut kid, the fool professionally, we, my friends and I, uh, we all the kind of games we played were um, like rich pretend. Like we go out in the woods and now we are mm-hmm. hunting ghosts or we are uh, robots on an alien planet or whatever. When you were kids, like what kind of play activities did the two of you do? Well, I mean, it's funny that you say pretend because I,
0: our the game of choice for us was the complete opposite of pretend. It was the most literal and visceral game we could come up with. And we, we just went into uh, one of our bedrooms and sat across from each other on the floor and threw a ball at each other's nuts. <laughs>
1: You couldn't move, you know. So yeah, was, that was
0: the rule. You couldn't move. It's the first man to give up lost.
1: All right, so that's that's uh. Let's just um. That's not narrative driven. <laughs> let's call that no, experiential play. <laughs> it's
2: like, here comes we're space explorers, and here comes an asteroid, right at your testicles. It was more just like, here's a ball. There's
0: your balls. I'm gonna throw it at them. Very, very simple. But it is funny because I, I think that as we got older, uh, things did get very it was we had this approach to playing with each other that became very ritualistic or even ceremonial. like we would make things into way more than they were in actuality, right? So if like if we went camping with our friends, we thought, well, you know what we've actually, we have to call this the camping pod and we have to have a constitution for this and we have to have officers. And it was like this sort of mythical group, you know, almost like the lost boys with the way that we, we saw ourselves. And we did that with other ways that we interacted uh, as well.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I remember, I, you know, I'm an only child. So like, I, I, I spent a lot of time just playing with myself. Mm. I didn't mean it like that. Started in the womb. I'm sorry. <laughs> It, I mean, you know, I would I would uh, spend a lot of time posing my GI Joes. But mm-hmm. I, do you remember this? I you, you came over to my house one time, and I was and I had this notebook, and I was like, "We're the AIs, the Army investigators." Because I had all that. My my stepdad bought me all this like army stuff, like an army belt and like a survival knife with a compass belt. on the end yeah, of it. I remember that? And I'd like. I would make up these missions that I would write down and I would usually conduct these by myself but then when you came over I was I was a little embarrassed but I was like do you want to be an army investigator we can and you just we, like you said we would go in the woods and just mm-hmm. like investigate mm-hmm. uh, I don't do I don't we, do know we, if ever we, ever discuss, anything? we
1: didn't solve much so th- that's kind of that's what i wanted to get at um so you're you know going into the woods with your own creative investigation with like ranking and structure i think is uh that's funny we, we all had like officer roles in my play group yeah when we were it's I, that might be like a a, a, a kind of man boy thing were you but, in charge
2: of it? Did you, like, determine we need officers, or were you, like... Oh, was I was it?
1: definitely the driving force behind we need some sort of structure and organization in our playgroup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For That's, sure. And
2: I had a notebook. Yeah. Well, and there was this... <laughs>
0: right. It's interesting, because there was this almost, like, manifest destiny element to it. I mean, you weren't really a part of what we called the Explorers Club, which was me and my brother and then Jeremy down the block. You don't have to rub it in. And, no, I was not. No, I was not. Because that was, like, what my brother was doing. And he said, we're going to call ourselves the Explorers because we had these duck boots that had the word Explorer. That was, like, the addition. And we both had them. We're like, oh, we're the Explorers. And then we would go into different parts of the woods and name, like, this part of the creek is Fort Deadman. And this is Fort Silverstone or whatever. And it was, like, this idea of, like, claiming this land behind our house seemed to be this very important Exercise mm-hmm. whenever never asked why mm-hmm.
2: yes yeah, yeah. i like our play i th- I do think there was always this like importance to it like you would you would add structure mm-hmm. or st- i don't know if it was stakes, but you know y- you start to build hierarchies and things like that and missions and it 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 felt important,
1: yeah yeah well, so much of what we do when we're playing as children is rehearsing for adulthood, and so i've I've wondered if Maybe some of what's happening in that dynamic is we're seeing what our parents do, and then just automatically integrating some of those norms into our world of play.
0: But then, is this why I go around
1: naming like different rivers and creeks now? I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't even care what it says on the map. I'm like that (laughs) sport dead man. Right? Yeah. But then we then we get in this stage um, where you kind of get disenfranchised about play. And I know you two had like what I would uh, call maybe the engineer phase, where yeah. um, your friendship persisted, but you you went to school, you got a, a, a degree in what we would not traditionally refer to as a creative field, and you were yeah. engineers for a while. Did you keep this kind of sense of mutualistic play as friends at that point?
0: Yeah, we yeah we did. You know, it's funny because I think that now that we play for a living, we just didn't, we never understood that to be an option. You know, we grew up in a really small town, rural North Carolina. The idea of someone who entertains for a living was the guy who would come, the DJ who would come to the middle school dances and he didn't seem to be making a great living. Um, So it was like, this is not what, you know, you gotta have a real job. And I think that was what we we understood. But what we would continue to do, like while we were in college and even after we, we graduated, is we would continue to, for us it was like going out in nature, going to the river, going swimming in the river, camping, that kind of thing, kayaking. We kept doing a lot of that and it felt like a, a priority to have that kind of carved out in our time. And at the same time we were trying to start doing the comedy thing, but I don't ever think we thought about what we were doing professionally, what we were trying to do professionally as comedians as play. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it, it definitely is that, but I think there was a little bit of a, a separation in, in my mind.
2: We were writing, the first, I mean, we were in a band in high school, but like, in college, we would, when we started writing songs, just the two of us, it was just around the apartment with like our small group of friends. We would, yeah. yeah. we'd just write dumb songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, about... Wrote a song called "Fartin' Girl." Yeah, that's a classic. Um, yeah, you probably heard it. Very simple it's, lyrics. Um, yeah, I think the chorus went "Fartin' Fartin' 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 Girl." Yeah. But it was just—I mean, I think the first college was, students don't have it, it. Gina gets the laugh when she
0: farts in a group. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. If she farts too well, I—I I mean, yeah, we don't yeah, need yeah, to. Yeah, right? Yeah. We don't need to give you the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, you
1: can, <laughs> just just turn on your radio. Your
2: radio. <laughs>
1: the great. royalties are are rolling in to yeah. this day from Fartin Girl, that classic track. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a uh, Do you think so you made you made this movement then from engineering uh into comedy and media. And every time I've encountered you two... um over the years there is definitely a sense of joy and whimsy and all the things I associate with play uh, and yet your business partners do you think like it was focusing on comedy that helped you incorporate some of that energy into your work or how the how, what how, what can you tell those of us who as adults maybe have a little more difficulty leaning into kind of loose fun in a moment-to-moment basis based on how you two have navigated being business partners and childhood friends and comedians and all those things at once because that doesn't always go well. Right.
2: Yeah, I I mean, a, a lot of our drive to have fun was we funneled that into our our drive to entertain people and to find an audience and to, to, to keep an audience. And I mean, and this was well before YouTube, but, it, you know, so, I mean, I, I definitely think that now, I don't know, we can go back and kind of trace the steps to it, but we were trying to create things that, we, I mean, we, we were trying to make people laugh, you know, with mm-hmm. the things that would make each other laugh. You know, we we're trying to be as funny as possible. But I think the thing that we've discovered over the years is that it it resonates the most when especially in the context of Good Mythical Morning, when we're actually having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm saying this because I think it will make someone watching laugh. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make him laugh. And I think and I'm a, legitimately, authentically, I'm going to make myself laugh. You know, it's like that, that's kind of the the thing that I think we had to rediscover because, yeah, you go through this phase of you're trying to you're trying to build a career and you're trying to run a business and j- j- just unlocking that part of it that. Well, it was easier for us because we're not like selling hot dogs. I mean, don't put it past
0: this. We may start selling hot dogs. At any <laughs> it <laughs> but, wouldn't be that big uh, a stretch. <laughs> yeah when you're selling yourself and you are selling yourselves being friends on camera and having a good time with one another uh, and I don't we never thought about this directly but I think that it kind of happened naturally that you there's this sense that we've got to maintain a real connection because that's kind of what people are tuning into right um, Whereas I think that when it becomes about a product that is more separated from yourself, it can be harder to Mm -hmm. maintain that. So that's just the luck of the draw. That's just something that works out when you're sort of presenting your friendship for the purpose of entertainment. It can be complicated, but it also kind of drives this natural uh, attendance to your own, the health of your friendship, because that's what's on display. In fact, you know, over the past few years, now that we, you know, early years of YouTube, we were doing You know, the occasional music video or sketch, there wasn't a lot of insight you could get into about the nature of our relationship. But now, with uploading a video or multiple videos every single day, not acting, but just being ourselves, you know, there's this. And then also seeing the way the the community interacts with that. Everyone is constantly conjecturing and commenting on the nature of our friendship or they doing okay they seem a little mad with each other and it's like well maybe there is a day where one of us has gotten on we've gotten on each other's nerves right i mean maybe
2: <laughs> and i'm not gonna say definitely and but. that
0: kind of shows through but if we just said we like if we were you know we we heard it was always uh this the story of brooks and dunn or you know our idols uh, um Country music idols. (laughs) They rode in separate tour buses, which having gone on tour together, I kind of get that now. But we always had this idea that it was like... They slept together. These guys... (laughs) They (laughs) spooned. If if Brooks and Dunn are not spooning, then I don't believe in this whole franchise. No. The idea that... How can you boot scoot boogie if you can't spoon in the tour bus? Yeah, that wasn't the point I was going to make, but I do think that's a good... uh, I like where you're going with that. Um, But just the idea that you got to have help. But to answer your question for, for people who it's, it, that's, it's not a practical, you can't say, well, if, if you do something that's not intrinsically fun for a living or, you know, with your best friend, it's like, well, how do you introduce fun as an adult? I, I just think it's a, it's a scheduling priority, right? Even for us, the way we try to separate our playtime from our professional playtime, whether that's going surfing together or camping together or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever we do, um, it's gotta be a priority in our schedule. And we've been good at that at times mm-hmm. and we've been bad at that at times. Uh, but the moment that we don't get serious and say, Hey, listen, we actually need to set a time where we're gonna go do this fun thing, and it isn't first and foremost for an audience, it's for each other. Yeah. Um, then that those are the that's when we're on top of it.
1: Well that that's uh well number one, I was today years old when I learned that Brooks and Dunn sang boots goot and boogie that Thank you for that information. That was <laughs> You're welcome. That was new for me. I would have never guessed. Uh but then it is interesting that dichotomy uh of trying to maintain a sense of fun in your work because you do work really hard. Like, oh my gosh. Um and which obviously with the amount of output that you have, you have to work really hard. But um you know, I I I think it one could say from the outside, if you look at people uh, in media, I know people say this about me, like, well, of course, if I could full time blank, then it would be easy, um, but it's not easy to balance relationships and um, mental health and a work life balance when you are in media full time, no matter what capacity, whether you're a, a newspaper writer or a, a local yeah. news person. Or a comedian.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it is extremely difficult because we're. You know, we didn't set out to run a company of a a whole bunch of people. You know, that's that just. You start hiring people over time in order to accomplish your creative goals and to realize the opportunities that are in front of you. But I mean, it's. It is really demanding and. You know, I, like Red said, I think we we kind of had to recenter that for us. If if we're not enjoying each other's company off camera, it makes it really difficult for us to enjoy each other on camera, and that is the ultimate key to things working. Um, but I I have to think it applies to people who you know it's them having them playing or having fun is not it is not not their job or mm-hmm. the thing that they're producing, but it's still, if you're not a happy person who can f- find a, find a way to engage your passion, it, even if it's not directing that, there's, you know, it's, it seems pretty essential because it comes through anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, I mean, that, f- for us, we got the, anything we were creating, we had to believe it would work, but we had to get excited about doing it. It had to be fun to try this type of video. Hey, let's do this. Let's do a music video where everything's in reverse and we have to, you know, we have to work really hard and invest a lot of time to, to execute this crazy idea we have, but it's, but we were really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I think, I mean, even the other day we were talking about our team and an idea that we had that there were, as we discussed it, it was, I think this idea would be fun for the team to work on. Because we, you know, Hmm. we kind of know from our own experience that even though they're not on camera and it may not, it's not going to come through directly, we do think it comes through indirectly all the time that, like, if everyone working for us is not really engaged with their passions and having a good time, that... It, that, that's not, it's not really going to work. Mm-hmm. So now we find ourselves coming, greenlighting ideas that we think they can get into. And it. And if if we step out of it and just give them more rain to have fun with it, then it's better. Mm-hmm. And we benefit. So I don't think that's something we ever calculated, but we just, we want to give them the experience that we have because we know that that, that
1: comes through. hmm So I'm hearing like, um, you know, when we think of play and we think of, we might think of pretend, but what I'm hearing you say is there's actually not a lot of pretending involved in your work and in the way you collaborate that. In fact, the way you find joy and fun is through, for lack of a better word, authenticity, doing things that you really feel excited about, uh, and then kind of sharing the joy in that experience with your audience. Is that like a fair summary?
0: Yeah, and and that's not. It's interesting because it's not really. It wasn't our plan, and it wasn't ever really our intention because we got into the entertainment business thinking that we were going to be creating, you know, scripted stuff. Whether it's, you know, it started as music videos and sketches, and the idea was that that would evolve into television and movies. Uh, The way that YouTube works, it ends up you know, rewarding a different part of the entertainment spectrum. And it really is more about authenticity. Now, at the same time, our passion is has always been telling stories. And so we find ways to do that, whether it's, you know, writing a book or we're constantly working on other things that we're trying to uh, to bring to a screen somewhere. But, you know, it's a totally different process than the, the the show that we make on YouTube. So I would say that we kind of stumbled into this idea of, being like the primary source of entertainment that we bring to people at least over the past few years has been this us just being our authentic selves uh but we at the same time we are really authentically interested in creating things and playing characters and creating scenarios and uh that's also the kind of content that we enjoy you know we don't really consume a lot of content that looks like what we create Mm -hmm. uh and so i think that uh it's just what's worked it's what's connected with more people. And so that's kind of where we, we've we poured a lot of our effort.
1: And I would not mind saying uh, that Rhett and Link are very talented narrative storytellers. <laughs> if you haven't read The Lost Causes of Bleak Creek, you should. Dang, um, was that in your pocket the whole time? That was on my desk, although not for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I was uh I've been doing some voiceover work and I wanted to practice writing reading aloud from a book that wasn't mine. And so ah. I just grabbed your book to read. Because I love it. It's a good book. Anyway. Um yeah, so that that's interesting the way that um, when you invite joy and fun and play into your life it often seems like whatever you had planned ends up not being the trajectory that somehow, uh, even as adults, when we play, play plays back, you know? Um, I think that's so interesting that, uh, you've been able to try so many different things and be successful at so many different things and remain friends and remain business partners and, and just bring joy to so many people. I mean, um, The mythical beast, that community online, you know, I can see the way that encountering your work and your joy and the energy you bring to everything you do influences their lives and influences their lives for the better. And that's one of the reasons I was like really excited to see one of the most recent places you've decided to bring that kind of energy is to voting, which is not like a very fun topic. (laughs) It is actually an anti-fun topic, especially right now, Uh, but I was on uh, Twitter, believe it or not, and a tweet came up with Vote Like a Beast, and I was like, what is this? And then, oh my gosh, I laughed so hard at your Vote Like a Beast video, Uh, (laughs) so if anyone's wondering how you can bring fun and joy and play (laughs) into a mundane topic, check that out. But uh, would you mind telling us just a little bit about what's up with Vote Like a Beast and everything happened in there sure
0: yeah I mean I we wanted to do something you know I think we always say this is the most important election of our lifetime and it feels like every next election is the most important election of our lifetime and you know we have a very diverse crowd uh, so we wanted to do something that was centered around a nonpartisan effort to just mobilize people to vote, but we wanted to go beyond the idea of just registering and being ready to vote and actually have people engage their conscience. You know, I think that uh, for the younger set that doesn't vote very often, you know, I I think there's the people who do vote and who are ready and who are registered and know who they're going to vote for, I think they're probably pretty entrenched in their own ideology, right? But those, the younger people, a lot of times I feel like are, um, they haven't really engaged fully, they may have really engaged with the world, and they may have a lot of strong opinions, but how those map onto a candidate may be an exercise that they haven't really done in a thoughtful way. And so our whole intention was like, hey, take the time to really think about what these candidates stand for, not just in the presidential election, but all the way down the ballot. I mean, your local elections are probably even more personally impactful to you, uh, and you can have even more of a voice in those. So, just putting all these resources together so people can make an informed decision, uh,
2: and, and also removing yeah. the barrier, the perceived barrier of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you if you've never gone through it, or if you want to, you know, if you want to vote by mail, and that's new. You know, just want to. We wanted to simplify it as much as possible, so that it could be about engaging your passions and your conscience. And mm-hmm. cause you know, on the other side, like the moment that you do complete your ballot, like there's a feeling associated with that. I mean, especially if you've, if you've not just copied somebody else's work, you know, when you've, when you've done the work yourself, mm-hmm. it feels, it feels good. Mm-hmm. If there's like, it, I don't know with my personal personality type, I, I tend to get very, intimidated by a process or making the right decisions or you know the work involved so for for people like me i just wanted to to translate some of the excitement associated with being involved and actually connecting those dots like Rhett's talking about and um i think i you know I the response has been very positive you know so we're we're really encouraged and uh yeah, so vote like a beast.com.
1: Like a beast.com. And uh, speaking of URLs and places to send people, for those handful of folks who uh, this may be their first Ret and Link experience, you have an enormous catalog of work and multiple uh, ongoing programs. So, what's a good front door for somebody who's wanting to check out what Rhett and Link are about for the first time?
2: Oh, gosh. I guess mythical.com. Yeah, mythical.com
1: does a good
0: way of bringing it all together, Every everything that we offer.
1: Okay, great. And I would say, uh, if you're a podcast listener, which you probably are if you're watching this show, Ear Biscuits is extraordinary. I was not actually much of a uh, YouTube fan until I started watching Good Mythical Morning, and it's completely changed my relationship to media Uh, And I definitely made the the leap into being a full-on mythical beast and becoming a daily viewer, so I would recommend that you all do as well. Uh, And I'll I'll lean in here because I'm quite serious. Um, We are in a very stressful time in our society right now, and I know from your calls and your emails and your letters that many of you feel overwhelmed by what you see in the world of media and Rhett and Link do an extraordinary job of inviting joy in every day. Truly, the show is a good mythical morning. Friends, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Uh, It means the world to me. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. We love it, man.
2: And we love you. You know, We're, we're glad to be tight. So glad to do this anytime. Thanks, friends.
1: All right. Thanks, Mike. Well, the Cozy Robot Show comes from another program called Ask Science Mike, a podcast that I did uh, starting in 2014 moving on in today. And we've tried to bring that energy forward into this program where we explore the things that you're curious about, which, by the way, we could use your questions. If you go to CozyRobots.com, you can upload a video question about topics that we're going to be exploring together in the future. Uh, and let's go ahead and start doing that right now. This week, we're talking about play.
2: Okay, Mike, I'm wondering if you can help me with something. On paper, I am the ideal candidate to really like Dungeons & Dragons. I'm this, like, giant nerd. It's Office Legolas. I'm really into Lord of the Rings. I liked swords and sorcery kind of books but I hate Dungeons & Dragons. It is so complicated and I don't like how many rules there are and I just want to like play and pretend and have fun. Um, I, In spirit, I love Dungeons & Dragons where it acknowledges this kind of imaginative play aspect that dies a little bit as we grow up. Um, I just don't like the current manifestations of it. Um, Can you make any recommendations for me as something that's maybe a little bit less controlled that scratches that same itch? Thanks.
1: Yeah, you know, Dungeons & Dragons is weird, and I don't just mean in the obvious ways. I mean it's been around forever. It debuted in the late 70s. Uh, So it's been around a long time. It has been both very... Well-known culturally, it was uh, known as a nerdy pastime. When I was growing up in the 80s, it was vilified by religious communities as being some introduction to devil worship, I guess. Uh, Then you get around to the modern era and things like Stranger Things and Critical Role have really gotten Dungeons & Dragons into the top of mind for people. And more folks than ever are trying this game. Now, if you've never played Dungeons & Dragons, it works kind of like this. Uh, When you were a kid, you probably played games that involved pretend. And you might be pretending, let's say, just for the sake of example, that you were in some kind of a science fiction setting. And so one of you may have decided that you had a shield, an energy shield around you. And someone else may have decided they had a laser cannon. And a conflict could be introduced when you shot the shield with your laser cannon of what happened. Is your shield powerful or is... Is the laser powerful who wins that encounter? And so tabletop role-playing games use a set of rules uh, and a, ro- a special role known as a game master or dungeon master to narrate the consequences of action. So Dungeons & Dragons is a game where you tell stories together. And it's tons of fun, especially if you have a great game master. I was really lucky uh, that when I started getting into Uh, Dungeons & Dragons as an adult recently. uh, My friend Cameron Hunt uh, was a fantastic DM for me and really, really made the process accessible and enjoyable for me. Got rid of all the complexity that has to go along with the rules. And the rules, kind of to your point, are substantial. This is the player's handbook. Kind of the basic rule set of Dungeons & Dragons And you can see this is a significant and weighty volume. And so people get really intimidated about how they can play. It's bad enough. We have to pretend. But now I also have to understand a bunch of rules. And so often D&D games turn into rules lawyering, where people argue about what the right interpretation of a different set of rules may be. It's not fun. And the whole point of play is to have fun. So uh, I have been looking at alternatives to D&D for a variety of reasons, people asking about it, uh, you know, some other reasons as well. My, my friend Alex and I have really been looking into different game systems. And um, one problem with finding alternatives to Dungeons & Dragons is D&D is so popular that it has lots of resources. And I don't just mean books where you have different play scenarios and you have different rule sets and you have different monsters and all that kind of stuff. Uh, One problem is D&D is so popular that there's lots of people to play with. There's a lot of people who know how to show up at a table and play D&D. There's a lot of people who know how to be a a game master uh, for Dungeons and Dragons. And there's other communities. I see someone mentioning Warhammer 40k in the comments right now. Uh, That's an amazing game. It's even more complicated than Dungeons and Dragons. So the game, because of its origins and kind of geekdom and nerd community, I guess the complexity is viewed as a, as an advantage, not as a disadvantage, and that definitely does affect people's ability to enter the game. Uh, now, I want to be clear in DD the only rules that apply are the rules that you and your table decide they apply. So one thing you can do is communicate with your DM that you just prefer a more simplified experience. A good DM's job is to help you understand what happened when you made a choice. And their job is to know the rules the best they can. And uh, I would say a good way to think about tabletop roleplay gaming is keep the game moving forward. Anytime you get bogged down in ruling, uh, it slows the game down. It's not fun. You know, when I am a DM, I'm always focused on keeping the game going. And uh, that makes it more fun. But there are a few systems I've been exploring that I'd just like to let you know are out there in case uh, you'd like to think about this at your table. One is the cipher system, which is uh, uh, the basis for a game called Numera, uh, which does a really, really good job at simplifying the rule set. Uh, The person hosting the game really has to figure out how hard something is on a scale of 1 to 10 in order to be the... Uh, game Master, which is much, much simpler. There's another system that's much older, known as Basic Role Playing. It strips away most of the cruft from the core DD rule set. It's an older system, but it is well known for being very simple and very accessible. And then finally, Savage Worlds is a game system that a lot of people enjoy. And there's a lot of different games based on the Savage Worlds engine. That's the set of rules uh, behind a gaming system. Of the three... Cypher's probably my favorite. I don't have a lot of time. Uh, I haven't played a full session in any of those systems. Uh, but, you know, as I've been looking around and researching these things and talking to friends, those are three that seem to come up a lot. And uh, the big thing I would say is, um, you know, these systems have evolved the way they have for a reason. When you get a lot of people at a table together, there's so many cases where you're going to have to imagine uh, the way a game can unfold. When people come up with really wonderful scenarios. You know, for those of you who have never played a game like Dungeons & Dragons, it's really unimaginable. You know, it got me through COVID. It got me through uh, the most severe case of depression of my life. I was in a a gaming community on Discord focused on D&D that I mentioned earlier in the program. And uh, the time we spent there together, exploring uh, a world that didn't exist together, the freedom. You know, when you play a video game, even if it's an open-world game, there really are constraints on what you can do. But when you're playing a role-playing game, a tabletop role-playing game, uh, you can tell the Game Master you want to do anything, and they can come up with an outcome for that. You can go places that there was no map created ahead of time, and... The uh, game master can create those worlds on the fly. It's really fun and really satisfying. So, I'd say on the one hand, try something like Cypher that might be more simplified and more accessible. And uh, then on the other hand, you know, think about giving uh, a stripped down version of DD another try. If you get a really good, uh, passionate, game master who focuses on storytelling and the fun of play, you might find you spend less time thinking about dice.
2: Hi Mike, longtime fan and listener. I was curious why some families or adults like to play more than others. Uh, my husband's family loves board games and three of my kids love board games. My family doesn't really do board games. I like them sometimes, and I have one kid that likes them sometimes, and I was just curious if there was any science behind why some people like to play games and others don't. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I think about this a lot. And one of the things I've been learning a lot about more recently in life, not because I'm curious, (laughs) although I am, but because it is helping me get through challenging situations in my life, is a field of psychology known as family systems theory, and family systems theory uh, looks at not just individual people, but the dynamics they create as a family unit, and the way that shapes our personality and creates this little microculture that is unique to a family that, uh, you know, grows up together. Where parents learn to be parents and caregivers learn to be caregivers at the same time that children are learning to be people. You know, I think back to my life. As a parent, there are so many choices I would have made differently with the knowledge I have now. You know, I love my children and I have always done my very best for them since before they were born. And at times, gosh, my very best was based on misguided assumptions or outdated research or, gosh, just a bad judgment call. And when you put on top of that the exhaustion that comes along with being the caregiver for a small child, and you can see how things get complicated. And then you have this another small issue. I brought into My role as a parent, admiration for everything my parents did well, and a determination to not repeat anything I perceived as a mistake on their part when I was a child. Family systems create radically different cultures in different homes based on people's development, based on generational behaviors. And so some families have a family system that is simply more open to spontaneity and creativity, and other family systems are less open to those things. To have a play-centered environment, you have to have a family system that does a good job of providing uh, emotional support, and a very particular type of emotional support affirmation in response to creative sharing. Because when we share creative things, we open ourselves up. We're very vulnerable. I don't know times in life, or at least not many, where we feel as vulnerable as we do when we share our creativity. That's one of the reasons adults find it so hard to play. They have a catalog of experiences from moving into adolescence where, their friends stopped being supportive of their creativity. Or they had family systems that shamed them for engaging in imaginative play. And this can be as simple as board games uh, or more elaborate. You know, we have had a continuous game of tag going in my house with me and my daughters since they have been old enough to run. It's gotten very complicated. We play multiple games of tag at once. So there's there's tag with no tag backs. We call it no, no tag backs I don't know, thirteen years ago, <laughs> maybe twelve years ago. Haven't been allowed a tag back since, but we've added another layer where we play I tag at the same time. Whereas if you make eye contact with someone and say I tag you're it, they're it in I tag, but you can be it in I tag and it in tag tag, and those are separate its. And we layer on more and more tag games simultaneously. We have my daughters and I have been playing that game for years. Sometimes uh. You know, guests in our home get introduced and uh, <laughs> unwillingly incorporated into the game when they get tagged by someone, right? That requires a lot of spontaneity to, to play that kind of tag, especially as adults. Uh, I'll tell you, Jenny, my wife, does not love it when we engage in our deep tag games in public or on city sidewalks. And that comes down to differences in family systems. Now, neither is right for wrong. Don't hear me wrong. But in order to play, we have to nurture intentionally often a supportive environment, an affirming environment around creativity, which does not always come naturally. And when our family system provides even passive penalization, even a withdrawal of attention in response to creative spontaneity, we naturally build a psychological defense against expressing that in the future, along with often a sense of shame around play behaviors. So, if you have a family that does not play-oriented and everyone is fine and enjoying it, then that's great, but... If you're wondering how play can be unlocked in your family culture, I'd say the first place to focus, and one of the great things family systems theory does, is it doesn't get us to assign blame. It puts us in a a mode of problem solving. So it's no one's fault. We're not here to figure out whose fault it is, whether we play or not. We're going to figure out what changes we need to make to be a more playful household, and that would mean introducing intentional positive affirmation in response to anyone's attempt to share creatively or initiate some kind of play. And As I told you right at the beginning of this segment, we really, really need your questions. Our next episode is going to be called Feeling Fragile, and it's about why it's so hard for us to talk about difficult topics like climate change and racism. And the way our bodies and minds tend to shut down when those matters come up. So you can help us have that conversation by sending in a question. Visit CozyRobots.com to share your curiosity with us all. We cannot make this show without you. And it has meant so much to me to be with you today. Thank you for watching the show. Thanks to my friends Rhett and Link for uh, coming on as guests. I will tell you, I sat here and watched that interview along with you all, and I laughed so many times. Gosh, those two are hilarious. Uh, don't forget, you can join the Cozy Robots at CozyRobot.com and hang out with me right after this show on Discord. I'll see you all uh, on on Discord, my Cozy Robot friends, in the After Party channel in just a few moments. Don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform that you may be watching, and the Cozy Robot Show is made possible by the most talented and supportive team in all of media, so I'd like to thank each and every Cozy Robot who makes this show possible, the production team of Tanner Hearn, Victory Palmisano, and Greg Nordine. The show's music is by my daughters, Madison and Macy McCarg. Production support was offered by Andrew Galecki. Production support and my assistant is Caitlin Hermstad, designed by Sydney Smith. Motion graphic design by Landon Satterfield, set design by Jesse Lane Interiors, wardrobe stylist, craft services, and my eternal love is Jenny McCarg. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, and I cannot wait to see you again next week. See you later.
2: The Cozy Robot Show.